Hello and welcome to episode 2 of the BMcast. Not a podcast that actively encourages dabbing on Tron players, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I'm Scott and I'm joined by the slippery bug bonder herself, Emma. How are you doing this week? Doing very well, Scott. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. I'm playing a lot of Historic on Arena, actually. That's oh, really? been a lot of fun. I found out this week that Vintage Cube is back. Oh, nice. It's weird because I associate Vintage Cube with seasonal, so Christmas time. Right, yeah. It's like when you finish work or finish school for the holidays and you're just like, oh man, I'm just going to jam Vintage Cube until like 2am. So I might do that, although it's weird because it's middle of July and it doesn't feel the same, but it's Vintage Cube and there's some new cards in there. So I'm going to jam some cards, I think, and have a go. Well, this is this is roughly the time when you start seeing all the mums on Facebook posting about how many weeks it is until Christmas. So like, it kind of fits, right? I mean, I had that on my Facebook feed yesterday, so you're not wrong. <laughs> We would like to say thank you to the following new patrons, Joe C, Odin E and Jason W for supporting the BMcast. We really appreciate your support to help keep the podcast running. If you want to become a patron yourself, you can jump on over to patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast if you want. It's up to you. No pressure. All right. So, uh, Emma, what's actually happening this week with, with magic? So in the realms of magic, we have another new set coming out. So more product. Woohoo. I know. Um, This one is called Jumpstart. So the concept of Jumpstart is very similar to a card game called Keyforge, where you take two boosters, Mm. you mash them together, and then you you just play. There's no deck building. All the lands are configured already, and you just pack up and play. The, The boosters are themed. So some boosters will have goblins in them. Some will have elves in them. Some will have dogs in them, which I'm quite excited about. Good boys. It's many good boys. It's got an emphasis on tribal. So there's a lot of cool tribal cards. And it's just a really fun kitchen table-y mm. sort of way to play Magic. A very cheap price because all you need is two boosters and someone to play with. Yeah. And it is released on the 17th of July, so it's not too far to go. We might have to pick some up and do a little bit of a Jumpstart play over webcam. I'm definitely up for that. That sounds fun. I'm just going to get a random booster. Mm. I don't know if their boosters are named or like labeled, so you don't know which one you're getting. Like, I don't think it's indicated on the outside what it is, but what's inside is like semi-seeded, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so just randomly get two boosters, put them together. It's very similar to the Magic Starter decks that you can get at your local game store, like the free ones, yeah. um, like the 30 card decks. Um, because if you get two of those, you can put them together and you get a 60 card deck that is of two colours. Mm-hmm. Jumpstart is similar with much more sought after cards and, you know, probably better than what you get in the starter decks. But the premise remains the same. It's actually a cool idea. It's really cool. I'm looking forward to it because I'd actually just put this up recently on Twitter that I don't really like Limited. But weirdly, I I like, I strangely like lower powered formats. I like playing like low power EDH. I don't aspire to play with like Power 9 and that kind of stuff because it's all super broken and it's all been done before. We've all done that. But I like the cool, like weird interactions that you'll only get while playing like budget decks or really low power EDH, that kind of thing. Mm. I like that different, like lesser explored avenue of magic that a lot of people just don't really know about. And Jumpstart kind of speaks to me in that sense. Where it's like, oh, there are a couple of good cards in there and there are a couple of bad ones, you know, so there's going to be some interesting things in there, sort of a balance between the two. So it feels kind of like draft, but you also don't have to go to the effort of having to have a whole pod or trying to make something of it. And you just kind of just throw them together and just enjoy it. Yeah, it's like magic light, isn't it? You just like get two pieces, smack them together. You don't have to worry about building your seal pool, mm. figure out how many lands you need, what color I need for 
X cards I have. You just put them together, just go to town. And it, it just really streamlines yeah. the process that some casual players can struggle with. For sure. And even that, it actually helps you understand the fundamentals of deck building because you can just use the jumpstart decks as a mm. base and just go, oh, I've got some forests, so I can put some like Castle Garenbriggs in instead and then just you kind of build a deck from it. And it's a really cool idea, not to mention they're quite cheap as well by the looks of it, especially for what yeah. you can get in them. For example, like Crayhood Behemoths in the set and Oracle of Moldire. If you're familiar with Commander, they're quite sought after mm, at the moment. They're going to retain their price tag to some extent, but those sort of cards are really just lucrative in Commander. And if you can pick them up in Jumpstart, you're onto a good one, really. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I think I like the most about Jumpstart is because the decks are essentially made for you. If you get, like, if you end up drawing like five or six lands in a row, it's the deck's fault, not yours. Yeah. You didn't build it. <laughs> Can't blame Arena either. <laughs> no, no rigged shufflers here. <laughs> Um, it is worth noting that Jumpstart does not affect Modern or Pioneer. The, yes. the legality hits... I want to, Does it hit Pauper? This this hits Pauper. Because it's weird, because it doesn't actually say it in the Watsy thing. It just says Legacy, Commander and Vintage. It doesn't actually mention Pauper, which is hilarious, because they're meant yeah. to endorse it as a format. It, it really instills confidence in their view of the, the Pauper format in general, yeah. which, to me, a big Pauper fan is uh, not... Not great. So, there are some reprints that you can play in Modern and Pioneer, which we're going to go over in a little bit. But it's just worth noting that because you think, oh man, I can play this exclusive Jumpstart card in like Pioneer and Modern. You can't, unfortunately, just due to the nature of the product and um, like the audience is trying to grab like this sort of kitchen table mm. casual aspect. It's not, not legal and standard either as well. Of course, to, yeah. Just to be sure. In, ca- in case anybody listening decides, oh, I'm going to buy a box of Jumpstart, it'll be in standard. It's fine. <laughs> to be fair, I forget standards are thing, just how it is at the moment. So my bad. Another way. Euro.format. <laughs> yeah. And isn't Jumpstart coming to Arena as well? Yes, it is going to be on Arena. We don't know how Jumpstart's going to work in a limited environment. Like, can you just get two boosters, put them together, and then just play against people in the league? We don't know that yet. However, um, Jumpstart will be available on Arena, and the cards are legal for Historic, which is a format yeah. that you know quite a lot about, Scott. I've been, I've been dipping my toes, yeah, for sure. To those that don't know, by the way, Historic is kind of like Arena Vintage. It's a digital-only Eternal format, and it's basically every card on Arena. It ranges from currently from Ixalan forwards and it has these mini sets that were added to it as well called anthologies that have been added to the format to help give it its own unique identity it's also the only format with a suspension list it's kind of like a ban list except where they temporarily remove problematic cards to see how the metagame adjusts and see if it's worth actually permanently removing them field of the dead was one of those cards that was added to the suspension list because they thought it might be too good, especially considering it was also banned in Standard and Pioneer. But they took it off the suspension list and said, no, it seems to actually be fine, which is really weird. But the reason that they were able to do that was because of the nature of it being a digital format. So if Wizards want to add cards to it, they don't need to go through the same process as like a paper set where you have to test it and then run it and then send it out to be printed. And then a year and a half later, it shows up. Instead of that, rather than waiting to add them in, or similarly, rather than waiting to ban a problematic card, they can just apply the changes immediately with minimal impact, which is pretty cool. They even introduce powerful answers to certain problematic cards rather than actually banning the card in the first place to allow people to play with their fun broken cards. So instead of 
getting rid of Field of the Dead, for example, they left it in, but instead added Goblin Rune Blaster, Violent Plague, and Ghost Quarter as ways to combat it. But Historic as a format, there are some very known quantities uh, when it comes to decks. Like there are some top decks that people are aware of and to be fair, one or two things might need a little bit of addressing, like certain ramp decks or the Nexus decks and that kind of thing. But I mean, you've got you've got Gruel and Mono Red Aggro. In terms of mid-range, you've got like Mono White, Life Gain, and Mono Black Devotion. You've Esper Control, even crazy weird ones like Gate Shrines. Uh, Spicy. <laughs> I it's it's fun. It's fun. Uh, like I said, with the combo, you have like Simic Nexus and you've also got Kathis combo. And this is what's making me so excited about Jumpstart, actually. Historic is loaded with tribal decks. You have viable merfolk decks, humans decks, goblins, zombies, vampires, knights, elves, you name it. Like all of the most popular tribes are all viable in Historic. And the reason for that is because of these anthologies. Like they've added Merorigiri for merfolk. They've added Satalia for humans, Goblin Matron for goblins. And the reason they add cards like this in the anthologies is because, well, tribal decks are really, really popular. There's not a single Magic player that I know that doesn't have a favorite tribe. It's true. And it doesn't matter if you're if you're a pro player or, or a casual player, Goblins is particularly high tier at the moment in modern, thanks to Conspicuous Snoop. And like you, you also know about those people, those, those merfolk players that are constantly trying to stay relevant as well. You know, like they're, they're, it doesn't matter what <laughs> yeah. level that you're at. You know, you always love some tribe, some form of tribe. I agree. What's what's your favourite tribe, Scott? Oh, you see, me as an ism mage, I, w- I should say wizards, but I don't think that they're good enough for me to enjoy them personally. So I'm probably going to say goblins. I've been Ooh. really enjoying goblins in modern. Oh, God, it's so good now, right? Thanks to Mr. Snoops. To be honest, I would actually argue that my, one of my favourite modern decks, even before Conspicuous Snoop, was Rakdos Goblins. It was just so fun to play. And it was so nice to be able to like rock up against Jund and then be like, oh, I'm going to thought seize you. I'm going to push that. I'm going to Assassin's Trophy this. Uh, and then you're like, yeah, okay, cool. Goblin Ringleader, undo all your work. Yeah. Uh, go. <laughs> that just feels so good. I always thought Rakdos Goblins pre-Snoop was really underappreciated. Hugely. It's so good now. It's a shame that it took a Snoop for people to acknowledge that it's a really good deck and it's become so combo focused. But no, I, I really yeah. like goblins. I think my favourite tribe has to be spirits because I'm a big advocate of banned spirits in modern. Shame, it's, it's fallen off its title a little bit, but mm. when I did play modern competitively, I played a lot of banned spirits yeah. and I really enjoy Spellqualler as a card. That makes one of us. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> No, I'm a big fan of spirits. Um, I don't mind elves as well once in a while if I want to have a headache. <laughs> if I fancy having a migraine, I'll play elves or play Amulet Titan. But I think spirits has to be my favourite tribe. Big fan of tempo decks. So. Yeah. yeah, same. You're speaking my language then. <laughs> but like you said, there are a couple of notable reprints in Jumpstart that we want to actually just run through a couple of them here because they are nice ones to have. Well, to be honest, they're, they're nice to have constantly reprinted. They're cards that shouldn't be expensive at all. I agree. In my opinion. It is worth pointing out, actually, that there are a few of the cards that you will get in the paper packs in Jumpstart that won't actually make it to Arena, either because of power level or difficulty in implementing the mechanic that they have on them. An example of that is actually one of the first cards that we're going to talk about in terms of being a good reprint in paper, you can open a path to exile in a jumpstart pack, but you won't be able to get it on arena because they don't want it to be too good in historic. 
but Path to Exile, like I'm happy to have that printed as often as possible because that's that's a card that should not be expensive. You know, it should be roughly the same price as say like Fatal Push or Lightning Bolt, which also should be incredibly cheap. Yes, I agree. Um, so Path to Exile is widely regarded as like the best removal spell in modern. Mm. If you're not familiar with what Path to Exile does, uh, so one mana white instant exile target creature is controlled and may search for a basic land, put it into play, tapped, and then you shuffle your library. I think it's around the eight to ten dollars mark at the moment. It normally leverages around that price, but hopefully with Jumpstart, mm. it should really knock down that price. And I agree, it should be one of those readily available uncommons that modern always needs. I would be extremely happy to see this reprinted to the point that if you were to go searching through like a, a draft chaff box mm. at an LGS, you'll find a few in there. Yeah. Like that's the level of reprinting I want to see on cards like Path Exile and Lightning Bolt. They should be accessible at, at any budget level. I agree. I, t- I feel like Serum Visions you can put in that space as well. Yeah, 100%. That, yeah. Needs, that needs to be reprinted a few times. Yeah. Not that it's seen too much play, but it's just one of those sort of readily available cantrips that, you know, should not be the price it is currently for an uncommon in, a, in modern. Agreed. Also, mm. for Popper, they need to reprint Preordain. Yes. That's like... I, I don't even know how much that is now. Let me check. A lot. It's more than it should be for a common. For sure. It is coming in at about four dollars. Yeah, that's quite a lot. Yeah. For a common cantrip. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And considering like Opt is a really good example, how many times have we seen that reprinted in the last eighteen months? Five, I believe. This is it. I know preordain might be a bit too good for like a standard, for example, and it's also banned mm-hmm. in modern, but I'm pretty sure with the amount of product that wizards are throwing at us, they can squeeze a preordain or, you know, a serum visions reprint somewhere. Hope maybe double masters, who knows? But it'd be just be really nice just to see these like desirable uncommons printed into the ground. Because it just allows players to make really powerful budget decks. For sure. I would love to see preordain and ponder reprinted in double masters, I think. Ooh, ponder's a good one. We haven't seen a ponder mm. reprint for a while. I'm trying to think one for green. I wanna say Veil of Summer, that's probably a bad one to go with. Don't you dare mention that card <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> That is shot right up. Have you seen how much Veil of Summer is now? It's insane. It's like it's $10 or something, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that was just printed as well. Yeah, exactly. It's absurd. God. I remember the first proper amount of money I actually spent on any card was Fatal Push. I Good job. put 40 euros aside for a playset at the time. This was not long after I started getting into Magic properly. Mm. I had bought four uncommons at 10 euros so that would have been about 11 or 12 dollars each just to play standard i was so foolish at the time (laughs) like now now it's like a dollar two dollars whatever and that's great yeah and that's how it should be now that's more down to you know it's not seeing a huge amount of play but that is where we should aim to have these kind of cards sit at yeah, it's like Aethervile is a good example as well because it was uh, yeah. uncommon in its original printing. It was like $25, $30. And I'm just like, uh, when I first got into Magic and tried to wrap my head around the value of cards and when someone went, oh yeah, this uncommon is $25. I'm like, why is it $25? And why is it an uncommon? Why is this not printed to death? Fortunately, they've upped the rarity now. So it's a rare, so it kind of justifies the price a little bit. And now understanding modern as a format what Aethervile does in the decks it's involved in um, but at the time I was just like why is this so expensive like Force of Will is also an uncommon in its original yeah. set 
and that's like what 80 bucks it's just weird because yeah. we associate rarity with price so mm. you expect a mythic For to sure. be like 50 60 70 dollars not like a uncommon or even a common like a boobliette i know that's a that's a hot topic for us because we play a lot of pauper but oh, yeah. a common should not be like 30 40 dollars at all well gavin verhey did mention that it's coming soon but he's been saying that for the last year and a half so we'll see <laughs> we've also heard that about Fetchland, so i'll believe it when i see it i mean we technically got fable passage right mm, <laughs> the secret layer count are we just gonna go with the, the secret layer theme every week secret layer oubliette no actually no no that would be that. horrible <laughs> back off our digression sorry everybody uh the next card on our list of, of notable reprints in Jumpstart is Lightning Bolt. It's similar to Path to Exile, like it's a premium removal spell. It is unfortunately also not coming to Historic. We'll, we'll get to that later. It's a card that you, you can't have too many of them. Like, I, th- I think I own, own something like 14 bolts at this point. I think I've got 12. I've got three playsets. And it's also, it's just one of those cards that every time we go to an LGS going, got any Lightning Bolts, they're like, nope. Just because everyone always wants them. For sure. And this is a little bit less in terms of like cost because the average bolt now is like one or two dollars. But mm. like realistically, it was a common in multiple, multiple sets. Mm. There, there are hundreds of different versions of bolt as well. Like this it's should print- be this should be sense if anything. Yeah, it's, it's weird how they still keep their price. There's a lot of history attached to it as well, I imagine. And they've just to played fair, in yeah. played in every format they're legal in. I think I remember reading something the other day, like Lightning Bolt's the second most played card in modern after Arkham Astrolade. Yeah, Lightning Bolt was in fact the most played card in modern for, I think it was something like four years. It's crazy, right? Like like, like we said, you can't, you can't have too many Lightning Bolts at all. I'd love to see some new art for Lightning Bolt, actually. I know that we just got Secret Lair Lightning Bolt, but I don't want to have to spend like $30 in order to get new Lightning Bolt art. I'd like to have something something nice at like a common or uncommon slot in a pack that I can open up and be like, ooh, slick new Lightning Bolt. Yeah, like we've had the... the f- GP full art ones recently, I want to say. Yeah. We've had a couple of those. But yeah, the secret layer ones, don't get me wrong, the secret layer ones are really nice. But I don't want to pay $30 for them. No. But yeah, some new art would be nice. But then again, the art's pretty iconic. This is true. Even though it's not Chris Rush, it's still pretty iconic. And I'm pretty sure if there was new Lightning Bolt art in a, in a set, someone will kick off because MTG Twitter community. Ah, look, just deal with it. In response, bolt you. Um, and next up on our list here is Elvish Archdruid. This is a sweet reprint. Mm, I imagine you're excited for this one in the historic. Yes, yes, absolutely. Elves is already a pretty good deck in historic. When I say pretty good, I mean like it's not tier one or two, but it's it's fun and it absolutely wins games. And we already have Elvish Clan Caller and, like I said earlier, Imperious Perfect. That's eight lords. If you were to add this as well now, this is 12 lords. And this one taps to add so much mana. Like I've got I've got an Elves that I play on Arena and at the three drop slot, there's like Steel Leaf Champion, which doesn't really fit in a traditional Elves kind of build. So like you could 100% pull that out and replace it with Elvish Arstruid. And, you know, you add to that stuff like Marwyn the Nurturer, like we said, Imperius Perfect and everything, and then Beast Whisperer to draw more cards. It's like an elf ball kind of build. But then you also have an Endray's Forerunners to act as your Crater Hoof Behemoth and just win the game on the spot. And 
what's more is Crater Hoof Behemoth is in this set as well, as we mentioned earlier, which is going to just replace Andre's Forerunners in Elves, and it's just going to start feeling like a Legacy Elves. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. Also, I didn't realise how cheap uh, Archdruid already is, but if you're looking to build Modern Elves, for example, it's a really mm-hmm. good pickup. Oh, and Dwynan's Elite is in the set as well. Oh, yes. Elves that's... is really getting a boost. Oh, yeah, that's a really good uncommon. Oh, it's spoiled. Yeah. There's a next on the list, I believe we have one that you're quite fond of. Yes. So, uh, so it's Gold to Primal Hunger. Back in Ixalan. Um, so it's the green legendary elder dinosaur from Ixalan. So it's 12 mana for a 12 12. And this spell costs X less to cast, where X is the total power of creatures that you control. And it has trample. So, in terms of modern and pioneer, uh, you have like mono green stompy decks. And you mm-hmm. want to curve out this on like turn four, turn five at the best. And um, when you especially got stuff like Steel Leaf Champion and Love Struck Beast, that really discounts Golter. So you can just go in early as possible. It's yeah. it's often seen as the top end in like Stompy decks and Pioneer and Modern, but it's just a really good pickup. Because at one point it was like fifteen bucks each, just because it also saw some play in Commander because it's a really good Mono Green Commander deck as well. So. If you want to build Stompy and Modern and Pioneer, grabbing a couple of these is pretty great because they're like eight bucks now. Mm, yeah. And then another one that we threw in here as well, uh, just to tag on the end here, is Goblin Lore. This is a bit of a niche one, but this was really expensive at one point. Did you remember when it was, yes. it was pre-War of the Spark in Modern when, when like, is it Phoenix? Oh, long may they rest in peace. <laughs> that, was, that was the tier one deck. And it was it and Tron and like there were a couple of other things. And one of the other ones that stood out as well was Hollow One, which just wanted to play really, really cheap Hollow Ones on like turn one or two. I remember Protor Rival of Ixalan. I think it was like late last year or the year before that. Ken Yukihiro brought Black Red Hollow One to the GP, or to the Protor. Uh, he top eight with it and he, he ran Goblin Laws and Burning Inquiries. It was just the coolest thing ever because that was like his first breakout uh, event. Yeah. And then Goblin Laws went up to like $40 each, going back to the really expensive, uncommon tirade. Is Hollow One like playable in modern? Because I know it kind of suffered due to faithless looting. A lot of things suffered due to faithless looting. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah, I mean, like it is, it does show up from time to time. It's definitely, again, not a tier one deck by any stretch of the imagination, but it's still pretty good. Like you have other things that you can use in place of faithless looting granted they're not as good and as a result it's a little bit less explosive and sometimes it runs what's that combo like the storm herald combo with is it with eldrazi's conscription yeah and that is that is a deck that shows up from time to time but yeah like goblin lord like it, it's still five dollars now but it's it's really situational it's an uncommon again another thing that should just be printed a bunch of times until it's not really worth that much anymore because it, it's just an uncommon, you know? It's a really unique effect, though, as well. And you probably won't see another card like it printed anytime soon. Or potentially ever. Yeah, it'll probably be, like, powered-down versions. Um, but, yeah, yeah, just having a set of these in your binder is probably a good way to go. Because Hollow One is one of the, uh, Hollow One is one of those cards that will get broken again at some point, And it is likely to get broken alongside Goblin Law. So it's just a matter of time. And if you enjoy playing yeah. those kind of decks... I just pick a set up for $20 or however much it will be. Yeah. 
so yeah so there there's some of the reprints there are other reprints as well that we are going to chat about here as well but i'm more hyped for less on the less on the cost side of things but more on their actual impact in historic because some of these are really really cool one of the ones that we're going to see here in jumpstart is corsair captain Corsair Captain is two and a blue for a 2-2 human pirate. And when it ends the battlefield, you create a treasure token, which is an artifact that you can tap and sacrifice it to add a mana of any color. So it's technically only two mana, but other pirates you control get plus one, plus one. Could we see something like blue-black pirates in Historic? Like, that would be sweet. It just sounds like I'm playing Excel Unlimited again. I'm excited. Yeah, we, we, we seem to share this uh, this weirdly unpopular opinion that we both seem to really like Excel Unlimited. It's such an aggressive format. It was great until you came across a Tetsamok and then you just concede. Yeah. So I would be excited to see blue-black pirates or something, you know, because, like, you have, like, Spectral Sailor as your little one-drop. You've got yeah. Kitesail Freebooter. Mm-hmm. You have Hostage Taker. Mm-hmm. You know, and then Corsair Captains at the three drop slot. I'm sure there are a bunch of other pirates that I'm just not thinking of either that are pretty good. Like, it could be nice and aggressive little little disruptive piratey thing. So you've got stuff like Drown the Lock. You've got Eliminate from Core 21, which we talked about mm. last week, which is really, really good. You can run stuff like Ashok in the sideboard, maybe, to stop some sort of search yeah. shenanigans. And you can run this sort of light disruptive package and just get to play pirates. Like, what's not to love? Yeah true that yeah and then next on the list here as well we've got curiosity now i'm particularly excited about this for two reasons one is this is probably going to be copies like maybe five and six of curious obsession in mono blue tempo lists because mono blue tempo is already a known quantity within historic like it is a one of the better decks and well personally i absolutely love the deck so any Mm. additional consistency in getting that turn two curiosity effect Mm. is just beautiful i love it it's like bogles isn't it so i have to agree with you there yeah (laughs) i like drawing cards and the other reason is because niv mizzet is in the format as well which means that you can do that commander staple combo of putting curiosity (laughs) on niv mizzet and just winning the game whenever anyone casts a spell nice i'm i'm good with that new budget deck whether it's going to be any good or not, I've no idea because, you know, it's easy to get a little two-car combo that wins a game like that in Commander when four people are doing all sorts of stuff. But if you're facing down, like, a Gruel Agro opponent that's cleaving with a questing beast, mm. I'm not so sure. It's fair. Um, so the next two you are really excited about. So we have oh, Grim yes. Lava Monster and Young Pyromancer. I do love Mancers in general, yes. And Lava and Pyro are two of the better ones. I can I can see this being used in like both of these being used in like an is it spells kind of list. Now I know Lava Mancer a little bit less so because generally speaking it tends to be pretty well powered by things like fetches and, and that kind of thing. Mm. But it's still pretty good. I'd I'd have maybe one or two in an is it spells list. And then Young Pyromancer, you just keep it out and then just keep gaining incremental advantage. Like I'm very happy to be doing that. And that could even fit into like is it Phoenix style build? where you can have Young Pyromancer out on turn two and then cast a couple of spells on turn three and four to help keep control of the board, then just cast a bunch of spells and get some birds back. And you also have a big ground force now as well. Like I've been doing that in Pioneer for, for long <laughs> enough to know that it's, it's pretty good. But one thing that I particularly like about Young Pyromancer, and I've been doing this, like I said, in Pioneer for a little while now, is I've been casting Of One Mind. The, the divination that costs two less when you control a human and non-human and the reason that this is so exciting here is because young pyromancer enables by itself the of one minds 
cost reduction effect. So if you've cast any spell after you have Young Pyromancer out, it creates a non-human elemental, which means that if you have an elemental and a Young Pyromancer, of one mind is one blue mana, draw two cards. And I'm here for that, for sure. Crazy, crazy value. Love it. Such a good card. I was looking at of one mind in Pauper with Delphra Secrets, because that seems also quite good. Yeah. There was an affinity list, actually, that ran Thraben Inspector and... Uh, I want to call it like Oriox Sun Chaser. It was like one in a white one one that has like a buff when you have metalcraft, but it was human as well. But then also ran stuff like Frogmite and and Mirror Enforcer, and that way it was able to enable of one mind with the artifact creatures and the humans. Nice, which was really nice. It was like a Jeskai affinity. That sounds really good. cool. It was very nice. It was it was essentially copies five through eight of Thoughtcast. I was gonna say it's it's a worse off forecast, but you're still happy to cast it, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, you, you just jam four of each in, you know, and then you have four one blue mana draw two card spells, like, yes please. Yes, in please. an aggro deck? Yes. <laughs> Madness. Next on the list though, we have goblins, and two of them in particular, we've got Krenko, Mob Boss, and Goblin Chieftain. Both of these are coming to Historic, and like I've mentioned earlier, tribal decks are pretty reasonable in Historic, goblins being one of my favourite ones, and yeah, being able to tutor up a Krenko with Goblin Matron is sweet and if you have a goblin war chief out at the same time the krenko has haste which means that you can tap it immediately and make a bunch more goblins which then also have haste so it's like a cuckoo combo of sorts combo breaker yeah so between conspicuous noob uh recently and then now also krenko coming in and then goblin chieftain as an additional lord i'm really 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 starting to like the look of goblins in historic it's really starting to look good. I imagine it can just be like goblins is traditionally known to be quite explosive anyway, but with like Cranko mm-hmm. and Chieftain and now you've got Snoop as well. It's just going to be like make all these goblins and just turn sideways. Yeah. You really need to be prepared for it, which leads into our next card, which is Languish, which deals a lot with goblins. I imagine it just gets it just slots into like mono black control, right? Or mono black devotion? Pretty much, yeah. Because one of the one of the key interactions I think that would be important to note with Languish is that it does not kill Phyrexian Obliterators, which means mm. that you can run the main deck. Now, granted, you'd probably only be able to run maybe two because that would then mean you've already got between the Obliterators and the Languishes, you've got six four drops, mm. which is kind of pushing around the limit you want to be at for that kind of thing. But that's a nice little reset button that then leaves you with an Obliterator. I can I can get behind that for sure. Yes. Also, moving away from historic briefly, um, language is a really good placeholder on damnation when it comes to playing board wipes in modern. Oh, hundred percent. This card is very very good. Bontu's last reckoning's also fine, but yep. the whole keeping your lands tap can mess up your tempo somewhat so language is just yeah. really good. It gets around indestructible quite nicely as well because it's minus four to the board as opposed to just destroying creatures. So if you're looking yeah. for a really good black board wipe in modern um or even pioneer because it is legal in pioneer uh languish is a really good one to go with yeah it's really really good yeah i've never been a huge fan of Bantu's last reckoning as you said because the idea of a board wipe is to well first of all get rid of all the creatures but what that results in is it's in a huge tempo swing in your yes. favor and the lands on topping as you said sort of mitigates that tempo swing so you've kind of just stopped yourself from dying but you haven't really gained any advantage yeah um Next one is one that you're fond with because it goes in one of your oh, favourite decks. I cannot wait. <laughs> oh, Lightning Axe is the next one. And let me tell you, there is no better feeling than going Axe that pitching bird. Mm. You miss you oh. miss Azir Phoenix on modern, don't you? 
I desperately, desperately miss it. <laughs> I desperately miss it. I'm like, I know I'm, I know I'm in the minority here. I'm banned looting. Died for Hogak sins. That's all I'm saying. But, but, but that's not what I'm here for today. That's not what I'm talking about today. Oh God, no. I'm not diving into that. Um, no, no. Lightning Axe though, in, in Historic, I'm, I'm really excited for this because one of the things that I think Phoenix is missing in something like Historic is, well, first of all, cheap, efficient ways in which to put the Phoenix into the yard in the first place. But also five damage is, is great. Being able to deal five damage to a creature is really, really good. One of the things I fear as someone that constantly tries to make Phoenix work in both standard and historic is a questing beast with an ember cleave on it. I can't kill that. Ugh. Like, there's nothing that kills that. Blitz of the Thunder Raptor if you're really well set up. But that's a maybe. You know, Lightning Axe is like one red mana, kill it. I got some advantage from it. It's one of my favorite cards to cast in Pioneer. Really? Even though it doesn't kill a inverter, but, you know. How is that deck still around? Like, I've not really looked at Pioneer too much, but it's just... I think it's contributed to the staleness of the format for me. Just having this combo that you can't really do much about. For sure. Like, I know I know this, I know this episode is really jumping into a lot of digressions here and tangents, <laughs> but I think one of the problems is actually because of the pandemic. Yeah. Because it's not on arena so wizards don't really want to push it and we can't really have paper events so therefore it's kind of sitting in this weird limbo where Terros beyond death came along messed the format up significantly and now combo reigns supreme and because not too many people are playing it like even some of the challenges are not firing on magic yeah. online i've heard as a result Wizards aren't really paying much attention to it because no one's really playing it. They're like, oh, well, you know what? If no one really cares, then we're not going to do anything about it. And that's kind of how it feels. And that's kind of why it's, we're sitting there with like Lotus Breach, Mono White, Ballista Combo and uh, Inverter at the top tables. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's, a, that's another tangent for another day, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really sad to see. I can, I can see it from Wizards point of view. But like when Pioneer first came out, it was this really exciting format of no fetch lands standard plus essentially and now it's just kind of petered out a little bit and it just feels really mm. unexciting and you, it kind of stifles any form of creativity because you're just going to get comboed yeah i'm hoping once right. whenever covid decides to settle and you know things can normalize hopefully there'll be some love for pioneer because it'd be a shame to see it just die out thanks to this so yeah 100 mm. it, it's one of my favorite formats uh, well was up until it sort of plateaued but yeah i guess that's i guess we can expand on that on another day yes but moving on to the next one this they, you you've mentioned earlier that your favorite tribe was spirits yes i think i think if if any cards are going to get you into a historic it might be these ones yeah so i want to ask you is spirits a playable strategy in historic so i've not played much historic the only deck i've really played is the tempered steel aggro artifact deck because i really like tempered steel as a card it's not really a known deck at the moment but i think the inclusion of these two cards will definitely do it and those two cards by the way are rattle chains and nebelgast herald yes so with nebelgast herald and rattle chains it just seems really good with like spectral sailor and you've got um ghostly mm -hmm. pilferer so you can do mono blue spirits because yeah. you, you don't really have the white because eldritch moon is not included yeah i imagine you could do like a cool mono blue spirits deck and i will probably yeah. try and force it in some capacity because rattle yeah. chains is a hell of a card it's good it's so it's good. good you also have supreme phantom oh yes supreme phantom is also great 
hopefully we get Drogskull Captain in a future anthology. That would be sweet. That'd be cool, actually. Yeah, yeah that'd be a nice one. Yeah, it would get me to play Historic because I think spirits are great. So, Next one is, I imagine it just goes in like Mono Black Aggro or Mono Black Devotion. Is Gifted Aetherborn. What do you think, Scott? Well, I might be biased because Gifted Aetherborn is one of my favorite creatures of all time. I did not know I know that. I'm an Ismage, but... Yeah, it was it was in one of my first ever decks that I built. It ran Torment of Scarabs and loads of discard cards. It was, nice. it was the whole thing. Tried to make eight rack a thing in standard. Won very few games. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the only creatures uh, that was in the deck was Gifted Aetherborn because for Black Black, you have a 2-3 Aetherborn vampire with both Death Touch and Lifelink. So yeah, it's it's really efficient. Like it doesn't have immediate value as it enters the battlefield, which normally we all understand has to be something to take into consideration considering the likes of Teferi and everything in the format. But at two mana, that's less of a thing. If it was three mana or higher, I would be a little more concerned about it. But yeah, it's just, it's really efficient. It's incredibly good against aggressive decks and it's incredibly good against really big creatures as well because the death touch can just trade off. So mm. it's something that I would see going into one of two decks, I think. Either the mono black devotion because, well, it's got black black and it's a very efficient creature. Or I think that this might also see play in vampires because we have quite a few good vampires in Historic at the moment. We have Knight of the Ebon Legion. We have Adanto Vanguard. There's Legion Lieutenant, which is a vampire lord, the black white 2-2 vampire knight that gives other vampires you control plus one plus one. And then the Soren Imperious Bloodlord is from M20. And the minus three on that is you may put a vampire creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. And the, the little combo with it at the moment is you minus three and put out a Champion of Dusk, the five mana four four from Ixalan, that when it enters the battlefield, you draw X cards and lose X life where X is the number of vampires. That's pretty sweet. You could do that on turn three. So you can go like Knight of the Ebon Legion, Gifted Aetherborn, Soren, minus, put out Champion of Dusk, draw three cards, lose three life, and you have an insane board on turn three and a Planeswalker to back them up. Like, it's incredible. Uh, it can be very, very fast and very, very aggressive. And I think this would be really good in being able to fight off other aggressive decks, I think. Yeah. That's where I think it'll see most play, yeah. Also, just realizing Jumpstart as well, we've got Drana Liberator Amalekir, who is also a vampire. That flies. Oh, right. That's got two black pips as well. She was insanely good back in Battle for Zendikar standard. Um, so Drana Liberator Amalekir is a free mana 2-3, so two black and a generic for a 2-3. Uh, she's got a flying mm-hmm. and first strike for a vampire ally. Not that the ally really matters at the moment. Whenever Drana Liberator Malakir deals combat damage to a player, put a plus one plus one counter on each other attacking creature you control. So you can just make your vampires ridiculously big. And it's a flying body for free mana. Sometimes vampires can struggle to be a little evasive. And this is just a nice sort of yeah. curve topper in terms of being aggro. Um, so you could probably squeeze in a Drana in there somewhere, I imagine. Yeah, I'd say so. And then finally, we, we I, I added one more to the list. Um, I'm a fan of this one. a little bit more of a meme. I guess we are getting assault formation. Yes, I love this card. I made it work in standard (laughs) at the time. Yeah, so assault formation is really good with Siege Rhino. So it turns it into a 5-5. And then you play a a combat trick called Shape the Sands. Gives target creature plus zero plus five. So you're swinging in with a 10-10 trampling Siege Rhino. That's gross. It was really fun. I didn't win many games, but it was a lot of fun. (laughs) 
So those that don't know what Assault Formation is, by the way, it's one and a green for an enchantment. And it says each creature you control assigns combat damage equal to its toughness rather than its power. And you can pay a green to have target creature with defender to be able to attack this turn as though it didn't have defender. And then you can also pay two and a green to have creatures you control get plus zero plus one until end of turn. Now, Arcades the Strategist is legal in Historic along with War of the Spark Quatley, which yeah. does very similar. Yeah. Um, and this is kind of just sort of additional option for this kind of strategy. We also have High Alert, actually. Now that Ooh, I think about High Alert's it. a good one. Also, so, you have um, Crashing Drawbridge and give them all haste. This is true. It's also a 4-4. Four, four. Oh, that's nice. Two mana 4-4 four, four that gives all your creatures haste. I'll take it. I'll take it. That's a good trade, right? <laughs> There's got to be some like one mana walls in standard of historic. Oh, there's thirty. There's got to be loads. Man, I just want to shape the sands. That card's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then one of the other final things that uh, I wanted to talk about is I'm I'm interested to see what the thriving lands are going to do for Popper. So to anyone that hasn't seen these before, these thriving lands are ETB tapped lands of the common rarity, and when they enter the battlefield, you choose a color other than the color that they already tap for. So for example, Thriving Bluff enters the battlefield tapped and can tap for red. But as it enters the battlefield, you choose another color, say blue, in my case it's probably blue, and then it'll tap for red or one mana of the chosen color, in this case blue, which is going to be very interesting because this will help to enable three color and possibly four color strategies in Pauper without them being too oppressive, I think. So unfortunately, one of the main problems with Pauper, though, is that if you have a land that taps for two different colors or more, it enters the battlefield tapped, which is not what you want to be putting into your aggressive decks. So instead, you pretty much have to run monocolored, like burn is mono red, uh, stompy is mono green, that kind of thing. But these thriving bluffs where I think they're going to help instead of in the aggressive decks which we're yet to see a fix on that but hopefully we will get something soon one of the things that i'm looking forward to on these is to enable strategies that were nearly there for example mardu reanimator could be a real deck now we've seen rakdos reanimator decks before where you use faithless looting to draw and discard and you pitch your reanimation targets and then you use exhume which is one in a black for sorcery. Each player takes a creature from their graveyard and puts it onto the battlefield. Now, normally, if you're doing it quick enough and you do it on turn two, you're probably only going to have your creature to bring back. Your opponent won't really have anything. But the problem with that is that Exhume was the only cheap reanimation spell in black, which meant that the inconsistency was all over the place. Like, it, it, was, it was incredibly inconsistent. But... If you add white, you will get Breath of Life and Resurrection, which are both four mana, one-sided uh, reanimator spells. So these kind of thriving lands will help enable those three color strategies. So you could have, say, four thriving bluff in your deck and you can have it come into the battlefield. And based on what you have in your hand, whether you have an exhume or a Breath of Life, you can choose to have a tap for white or black, that kind of thing. And that's where I think we're going to be able to see the biggest benefit from these, at least in that format anyway. I can also see a couple of them cropping up in Bogles and Pauper as well. A lot of Bogles mm. lists are starting to play Crumbling Vestige as a way to get a colour they want at that time. 
Unfortunately, crumbling vestige only gives you colour for the minute it comes into play tapped. Otherwise, after that, it, it just it's just a generic mana. And um, so I can definitely see Bogles running like a couple of these just to give some more flexibility on on colours when they don't have a Utopia Sprawl or an Abundant Growth. Yeah, uh, Bogles is quite aggressive, but can also play the long game because your fixing is pretty good. And having these thriving lands would just allow that consistency. In most cases, a five colour deck just because it's pauper and all the really good fixings are common apparently. Yeah, yeah, true that. Mm. But no, I'm really interested in the thriving lands for cube. So uh, for those who don't know, I run a peasant cube. And one thing I'm always in the market for is really good fixing that isn't too powerful. So I haven't got the signets in my cube because I think they're a bit too good. However, I do have like the the bounce lands, for example, and all the try lands and have two fetch lands because, or technically three fetch lands if you include an Ash Barons. So these thriving lands are really interesting because it allows you, as you say, to enable these two, three color, even four color strategies. And they're just really hard to come by given the rarity. So from a key perspective, I'm quite excited to try and grab these for, you know, people can actually play more than one color in cube. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, they're really sweet. So those are the cards that we wanted to talk about. I'm pretty excited to see what this set does for Historic as a format and also just in general for the, the reprints. Like, seems like it's going to be a good set for it. Yeah. I think, anyway. Considering I don't look at Historic that much, I mean, I will probably soon because it's the closest I'm going to get to play in Modern at the moment, given I can't <laughs> play in Paper. I can play on Magic Online, but it's not quite the same. I prefer to play my Magic face-to-face in a in a social setting, as do most people. However, I'm interested to try Historic just because it just feels a little bit like Modern Light on Arena, and that kind of excites yeah. me a bit. And just seeing all these like really cool cards and reprints, and as we mentioned earlier, the emphasis on Tribal, I might just try and force like Mono Blue Spirits and have a whale of a time. Yeah, for sure. There, there are so many different decks available in Historic at the moment that like you're definitely going to find one you like. This is it, and you know... The only issue is is just trying to crack a load of packs and try and farm some rare wild cards, because that's the only <laughs> issue I've had with Arena is having rare wild cards, or the lack of. I'm not looking forward to the number of wild cards I'm going to need to, to mm. start building all these historic decks that I want now. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do have. We do have one little thing that we said we would revisit. Uh, we we talked about it yes, earlier. This is something Scott feels quite passionate about, and to be honest, I agree with you. However, I'll let you take the lead because <laughs> this seems to bother you more than me. Yeah, yeah it grinds my gears. Yeah, you could say that, and mm. that is the the exclusion of lightning bolt from entry into historic on arena. What the hell? <laughs> it's a, that's that's just how I'm going to start it. What the hell? Like, there, there's a couple of there's a couple of things to point out here that. If they are not willing to put Lightning Bolt into Historic, that implies that they feel that the power level is too high for that format, which in turn tells me that the power level is far too high for it to ever be in Standard again. Now, I know that they have changed their minds on these things before. They said that Llanowar Elves was too good for Standard and they'd never print it again. And lo and behold, it was reprinted in Dominaria and then even into some welcome decks. But Bolt is too good? I... I don't, I don't buy that. Like, you can't sit there. You can't possibly sit there stone-faced, w- w- casting Uros, drawing cards, gaining three life and ramping and telling me that Lightning Bolt is too good. I know. I know we said earlier that 
it is potentially like format warping or format defining and yes in this case it could potentially be format warping but it's a digital format like we said earlier if it really does become a problem just ban it just suspend it even just do something but to just say before having it in the actual format going oh no no it's too good it's too good with the likes of Uro still sitting there being like hello don't mind me i'm just <laughs> infinitely recurring and gaining life and ramping and oh, oh have you met my friend ugin the spirit dragon no no both in historic or a riot i'm sorry i just feel very strongly about this and don't even get me started on Uro. I mean, like, I know I've already kind of just gotten myself started on Neuro, but don't get me started on Neuro. Like, Same. That's, that's, that's a whole whole other kettle of fish. So before we recorded, we were talking about Eero, and uh, it strikes me that Eero's only been in standard for like four or five months-ish, yeah. give or take. And um, I'm not a big fan of Eero. I think the card is heinous and should not be in standard at all. So Magic is a game of like small advantages, mm-hmm. and, you know, when you have life gain and card draw, sorry, and all these kind of resources, it's just Uro just kind of just forces you to play a particular way because the resource is so high. But yeah, I think I'm not a big fan of Uro and I can't wait to see that and Wilderness Reclamation leave standard because, ugh, don't get me started on standard. <laughs> <laughs> don't get it started on so many cards right now. <laughs> oh, and there's Teferi as well, but you know. Let, let's swing back to Historic quickly. How do you feel about Teferi Tribal in Historic? I'll, I'll be honest it's not actually that bad and that's mostly because there there are decks like that ramp and just play ugin and go i don't give a damn how many teferis <laughs> you have they're all exiled now so yeah i'm generally not a big fan of of super friends decks in general you know i guess it could be worse not much worse but it could be worse <laughs> maybe teferi tribal with an ugin top end that's now, oh. now we're re- now we're reaching peak degeneracy that's flavorful sort of mm. <laughs> But yeah, so I, I agree with you, Lightning Bolt. I just don't understand why they can't put these cards in and then just go, look, actually, it's too good. We're going to suspend it. So does the historic, like, sort of ban list, quote-unquote, work mm-hmm. in, like, a suspension, then a ban? Or is it just permanently in suspense or suspended? It, uh, so what's happened was a couple, of, a couple of cards have been put on the suspension list and have since been banned, I believe. I want to say Oko okay was so- one of them. I think so. I think so. And same with uh, same with like Once Upon a Time and, and Veil of Summer. And at the moment, we have Agent of Treachery and Fires of Invention sitting on the suspension list because, mm-hmm. well, they were obviously outright banned in standard because they were just too good at the Jeskai Luka deck. And they want to see if the historic metagame can sort of balance to that. So, I mean, like, I'm liking it now, but if they decide, oh, we'll just unsuspend those... I'm going to be very, very sad. We'll have another rant for that, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. And a proper <laughs> one for Uro soon. Oh yeah, dedicated <laughs> Uro time. Incoming. Thank you for listening to the BMcast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagicast at gmail.com. You can follow us at the BMcast on Twitter, search for Budget Magic Cast on SoundCloud, and support us over at patreon.com forward slash budgetmagiccast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.